0: Well, I appreciate Richard leading that song for me. I always, I, I love that song. I love the idea of holding to the unchanging hand of God. And I can't help uh, sometimes but wonder as I sing this song, as I think about the words of that song, I wonder to myself, while I'm holding to the unchanging hand of God, will I be thinking at the same time, what's going on underneath my feet? What's happening to to my feet? What's the ground look like underneath me while I'm holding to the unchanging hand of God? I don't think that's going to be on anybody's mind if we're truly holding on to God. I'm reminded of Sister Paula mentioning in a class the other day. On Wednesday night, she said, I like to think at one point about heaven and the time that I would spend with my loved ones who had passed on before me I just couldn't wait to see these people that were so cherished to me and and finally be with them in heaven she said but the more I've thought about it the more I realize I'm going to be in the presence of God I'm not sure that I'll have any other concerns uh, once I'm in that situation what really can take my mind off of that The reality of God's unchanging nature. His ability to hold us, to protect us with the power of His right arm. I believe that is a wonderfully soothing thought. But, with that knowledge, we still have ideas of what's going on around us. And I think of Peter as he walked out onto the water with Christ. He was being held up, supported, by not by the the physical properties of water, but by the power of God. And yet, he began to look around and see that this ground doesn't seem all too stable that I'm standing on. Even though God was so near, maybe it felt like God was so far away at the same time. All week long, I have made it my mission not to look at the news. For the very reason of their existence, the news, the things that they are reporting. I have made it my whole desire to not see what's going on because it's discouraging to me right now. Every time we see on on every on every outlet, whether it be on your phone or in a paper or on TV, the coronavirus. There, there's infection rates that are climbing, death tolls that are that are climbing. And at the same time where this this is going on, we also have a country gearing up for election season. And for sure, I am thankful for that right. I'm thankful. I would would much prefer us be able to elect the people that are in charge of us as opposed to a dictatorship that just says you can or cannot do these things. And I'm sure there there are people around the world that would would love to have the the freedoms that we have. But still, at the same time, Every election year, I get just a little bit depressed. Half of the people you turn to are just going on and on about the terrible things that Trump has said, the terrible things that Trump has done. And if we're honest, we have to say, yeah, he's done and said some terrible things in his life. But then we look at what seems to be maybe the front runner for this, this coming up election, Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders. And we look at that and, and what you hear about people saying about him is everything from, from he's a socialist to he's going to bring communism back to the country and, and just bankrupt our nation. And I, I listen to all this and say, this is depressing. I'm so tired of all that. And at the same time, there's, there's threats of war going on around the country. There's a, a, uh, China has been hostile towards our military. Uh, there was a report just the day the day about the, some things that they did to planes as they flew over. It seems like it's inevitable that we're going to wind up in another war. And terrorism is a problem. It's still high. And it, all of this is going on. And the country is in a moral tailspin. Especially when we think of the new targeted demographic for the, the rampant progression of the rights of homosexuality. It's no longer a, a something that, that comes up in the workplace. It's not something that is argued about on Senate floors. Now it's infiltrated not just entertainment, but, but our children's entertainment. A, a battle is being waged to persuade the minds of our youth that these are the normal things. There's, there's nothing wrong with two mothers or two fathers, two wives or two husbands. Okay, let me move my soapbox now over here, and I can be off of it, hopefully for the rest of this lesson. I wanted us to think about all that because there is a result that usually comes from living in times when things seem unstable. When it seems like nothing is going the way that we wish it would go or that we hoped it would go, Christians that one time felt like everything was strong around them begin to feel like maybe the the place where I'm standing, my foundation is crumbling, and they begin to sink, just like Peter as he walked with water, on the water with Christ, he began to look down at that water. He began to see the storm raging around him. And all of a sudden, his foundation wasn't quite as sure as it used to be. And most commonly, this leads to anxiety and to fear. You know, when we get back to the coronavirus, there are those who have already begun to prepare in our country. We're going to start stocking up on, on goods, on, on uh, medicines, on, on masks. But as, as it begins to, to continue, I would not be surprised if people begin to quarantine themselves, whether they are healthy or, or, or unhealthy, in their homes to try and protect themselves from, from this disease. Anxiety have, and fear has a way of stopping us from doing the things uh, that sometimes that really need to be done. Instability also leads to depression. Like I said, The election is a great freedom. I'm very thankful. I know that there are men around the world, women around the world that would love to be able to say, I think this person has my desires at heart and they would make it easier for the gospel to spread and for us to worship the Lord. And so I would like to be able to vote them into office rather than being told by by some regime that I have to uh, worship a certain way or do a certain thing. But at the same time, all the controversy that comes at every single election, it makes me depressed and ready for it to be over. What I want us to do, whenever things don't seem quite so stable, when things seem to be shifting ever so currently under our feet, I want us to take a lesson from the Israelites. In Isaiah 33, if you want to join me by opening your Bibles there, I want us to look at the instruction that was given to them specifically those who lived in the kingdom of Judah, they were witnessing instability. Instability coming in the form of the Assyrian army. An army which systematically came in and conquered land after land after land and was drawing ever so close to Jerusalem. They had captured the the northern kingdom of Israel. They were, were continually showing their might They were showing their complete disregard for God, and they were showing their complete disregard for human life. And as the army drew closer, instability leads to fear, depression, and a loss of focus on who is really in control here. Some of them said, you know, I think we should just give up. I think the Assyrian armies, they get here, we should just go to them and say, 'We we will serve you, which... In, in many ways, meant they were going to have to turn their back on God. The other half of the people are saying, no, no, we don't want to do that. God's given us this land. We're going to stay here. We have to stay here. And to do that, we're going to turn to Egypt because Egypt has chariots and horses and men and power. That will be our source of deliverance. Isaiah comes at an opportune time and says deliverance will not come from a man. You can calculate... You can devise. You can come up with crafty ways to try and get out of this situation. But your salvation, your help, your strength was never in man. Read with me in Isaiah 33, verses 2 and verses 5 through 6. He says, "'O Lord, be gracious to us. We have waited for You. "'Be their strength every morning, our salvation also, in the time of distress.'" Verse 5, The Lord is exalted, for He dwells on high. He has filled Zion with justice and righteousness, and He will be the stability of your times, a wealth of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is His treasure. I love the way the CEV, if you're reading from a, a Bible, you can see all the different translations. The CEV renders that phrase, the stability of your times, says our foundation, or says God is the foundation on which we stand. In times of trouble, in times of fear and depression, remember the counsel of Isaiah The Lord is strength, the Lord is salvation, the Lord is the stability of your time. But how does God do that? How does God provide stability? He says through Isaiah, it comes through wisdom and through knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge. In Proverbs chapter 1, the, the proverb writer Solomon begins this book of, of great wisdom pointing to the fact that there is a purpose to all of it. Proverbs 1 and verses 2 through 3 says, To know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteous justice, and equity, a wise man, verse 5, will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel to understand a proverb and a figure the words of the wise and their riddles proverb proverbs is written for the purpose of bringing about wisdom he wants the reader to know that wisdom and knowledge are available to them and so when you continue on into the next chapter chapter 2 it's very interesting what he says it's going to provide them. I want to start in verse 6 and just read through the end of the chapter. But think about the things that wisdom is bringing to the people of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, and He preserves the way of His godly ones. Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity in every good course. For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things. From those who leave the paths of uprightness, To walk in the way of darkness, who delight in doing evil and rejoice in the perversity of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways, to deliver you from the strange woman, from the adulteress who flatters with her words, that leaves the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God, for her house sinks down to death, and her tracks lead to the dead. None who go to her return again, nor do they reach the path of life. So you will walk in the way of good men and keep to the path of the, un, of the righteous. For the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be uprooted from it. Solomon writes, that wisdom and knowledge are given to us to guide us and to protect us from the traps that Satan is setting. He talks about them being protected and delivered from evil men, from perverse men, from those that are walking in their own ways, from the adulterous woman that is leading men to their death. He says wisdom and knowledge will guard you and protect you from the traps that Satan is setting in unstable times. During the shifting sand of the Assyrian conquest, The solid ground looked like Egypt. They said, that's where our hope is. That's where our power will come from. That's the plain and obvious choice. Go to Egypt. Well, Egypt doesn't survive. They don't don't make it through. They are are defeated in battle. That is a trap. Satan wanted their eyes looking to what seemed right to man because he knew that would take their eyes off of God. That would take their eyes off of their true leadership and lead them to death. Let's continue on reading in verse three. I'm sorry, chapter three, verse 21 through 26. He says, "My son, let them not vanish from your sight, keep sound wisdom and discretion. So they will be life to your soul and adornment to your neck." Then you will walk in your way securely and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden fear nor of the onslaught of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. He's telling us that Satan is setting traps all over the place, especially when things seem, seem uncertain. He's trying to ensnare us To pull our attention away from God. And Solomon is saying wisdom and knowledge. These things will help us to keep our minds focused. They comfort those who are afflicted with insecurity. They provide confidence and strength. And when you put your foot down, you can know. You can be certain. I am standing on a firm foundation when I am standing in the wisdom of the Lord. And that all sounds fine and good. That's what I want. I I want then to know that I've made the right choice. I want to know that I'm standing with the Lord and I'm holding to His hand. So what what do I do to know that? How do I get this wisdom that He's talking about? What What must I do to receive it? Well, Solomon began by giving us the first half of that equation. Remember, he said, A wise man will hear... And increase in learning. A man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To gain wisdom, we need to be seeking the source of wisdom. We need to be listening to the Word of God. A wise man hears what God is saying. A wise man listens to these words of God. He, he doesn't just let him go in in one ear and out the other. Jesus oftentimes would say something very similar to this after a parable. He would say, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Not just if you have physical ears on your head and sound was going in, but are you paying attention? Are you listening? Are you trying to gain something out of this? Learning from God is a way that we gain wisdom by seeking His Word. He would also tell us as we read through the book of Solomon that there is wise advice in taking the counsel of men who have been taught by God. Maybe men who had seen the instability of our times before who could say I remember when we had an election that looked bad I remember when there were things that threatened our security and I remember that what we did was we trusted in God and this is what that looked like This is how we did it and we go to people who have came through experiences like that and say how did you do it How did you hold fast to God How did you not let your mind be turned away How did you keep yourself firmly gra- grounded in that foundation. To gain wisdom, we need to be seeking the source of wisdom. We need to be looking to the Word of God, learning from Him, being reminded that He is our source of wisdom. But but we also need to realize that there's another way that we get wisdom. James writes to us in James chapter 1, instability, he calls it various trials. He says, these things test our faith. Whenever things seem like it's not... Like like the sand is shifting underneath us. The boat doesn't feel like it's anchored anymore. It's being battered around by the waves. What I thought was certain has just been uprooted, and, and now things don't seem so certain anymore. Various trials come and they test our faith, but tested faith produces endurance. He said, Don't forget that. You're running a race. We talked about running a race today at lunch uh, or after lunch. I was not a race runner. I could run fast for a little while. I couldn't run fast for a long while. I was not an endurance runner. But that's the kind of running that we do in the church. That's the kind of running we do with Christ. We're in a long distance run. He said when things are hard, when you go through unsettling times and you think, why is this happening to me? James is saying because it's producing something in you. Because it's leading you somewhere. Endurance as having a result. It's leading to completion. It's leading to maturity. It's leading to the perfecting of your faith. And the problem is sometimes we have a hard time seeing that. Because it's hard to see what's happening around the corner when we're looking at our circumstances right now at our feet. And so James' solution to that is if you're having a hard time seeing the end, seeing what this is going to produce in your faith at the beginning... There's another way of us saying, if you're having a hard time wisely discerning what's happening to you, go to God in prayer. Go to Him and ask for that wisdom and do so with faith. That's to do so with faith saying, I know that God gives wisdom and I know for those who come to Him and ask that they will receive it. But it's also going to God in faith saying, I know that you want what's best for me. I know that You're leading me somewhere and I can't see it right now. But I trust You, so please help me to have Your vision. Help me to see through Your eyes and have the same goals and the same will as You. Please give me wisdom. And God will give generously. But there's something else that's needed. Something beyond study and something beyond prayer. There is another key to unlocking wisdom to see through to the end. To see past your circumstances and see where your circumstances are leading. Past your fears to the perfect and good will of God. What is this key? Isaiah says it's a treasure. He says it is the fear of the Lord. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, Solomon says it is the fear of the Lord which is the beginning of Knowledge. In chapter 9, verse 10, he says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It is essential to looking beyond what you see today and see what God is doing, who he is, what his character and nature are all about. And why is that? If you're still over in Proverbs, I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 16. Why is wisdom, or why is the fear of the Lord so important in this? In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 6, he writes, "...by loving kindness and truth, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil." The fear of the Lord guards us. It protects us from doing evil. Now we read that sometimes and think, well, of course it does, because we know the consequences are so bad, and we're scared to death of those consequences, and so we're not going to do anything that might cause those consequences to fall upon us." That may be true to an extent. But I'm going to say that's an that's a immature understanding of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord goes beyond just I know the consequences and goes into the fact that I know the God that I serve. I know His love for me. I know His love for the church. I know that He has great desires to see me glorified with the rest of the saints who have come and, and submitted their lives to Christ. He has big, big plans for those who belong to Him, and I am in awe of that. There's a great reverence that we must have for the Lord. And so, when we understand what he's saying is the fear of the Lord is a guard from doing evil, we need to understand the key way in which he's describing it. If we go back to the coronavirus, I said that there may be some, if this... Virus continues to spread. There may be some that say, you know what? I'm locking myself in the house and I'm not coming out until they find a cure for this thing. Will that be wrong? I say by, by and large, most part, probably not. Probably not wrong. In fact, there may come a point where it's, it's even advisable to say, you know what? Stay at home as much as you can. But if fear and uncertainty lead us to separate ourselves from the work that we can do to edify the kingdom from the work that we can do to tend to the harvest of the fields, lifting up our brethren, pressing out the Word of God to to those that we have an opportunity to do. If, If we are more fearful of the effects that our circumstances have in our life than we are of our God, then our relationship is moving away from a relationship that is trusting in Him into a relationship that's looking to ourselves and to the world just like what the Israelites were doing here. And it is one of evil. And so Solomon says the fear of the Lord keeps us away from that evil. Isaiah said the fear of the Lord is the treasure in which we hope for Him. Proverbs 14, verse 26. Another passage I want to look at. says, In the fear of the Lord there is strong confidence and His children will have refuge. Rather than having a healthy fear of the Lord, We find, when we have a healthy fear of the Lord, I say, we find where our true strength, we find where our true confidence comes from. When we have a healthy fear of the Lord, we can finally see where it is that our power lies. These Israelites in the kingdom of Judah, they thought their power lied either nowhere, that they were powerless, or that their power lied in Egypt. They needed to know because of a fear of the Lord, a a healthy reverence for Him, they needed to know that's where our power lies. And that's why every great leader of God's people repeatedly pointed back to God as the true source of their leadership. You think about Moses. Towards the end of his life, as, as the Israelites, this next generation, was planning to go into Canaan, and we have the Song of Moses. The Song of Moses is basically Moses saying, it's not about me. Over and over again, four different ways, he said, God has been leading you. God brought you through the Red Sea. God has brought you through the wilderness. Joshua noted that before they could go into Canaan, God is going to be the one that goes in before us into battle. God has brought us here. God has delivered us out of Egypt and God will deliver us in Canaan. And what about David? Before David ever even ascends to the throne, as he's still just a young shepherd boy, he is placed in an unstable situation. The army of of the Israelites petrified under the leadership of King Saul because of one man of the Philistines that had challenged them. They didn't know what to do. And David comes, and before he has even ascended to the throne, he says, God saved me from the lion." God saved me from the bear. And God will save me from this giant Goliath as well. And that's why the very next verse in Psalms 14 says the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may avoid the snares of death. When we have wisdom, when we have wisdom to see God's plan for our future, knowledge to remember who He is, and what He has done, and a proper fear of the Lord which leads us to trust in Him. And not to trust in ourselves or in man to to lead us through, but to know that God truly, He truly is our source of stability. We will never lack a solid foundation. We will be supported, we will be holding fast to the unchanging hand of our great God. But I want to close with one last thought from Isaiah. Because not only does Isaiah show us that God is a source of stability, He shows us He is the source of salvation as well. Isaiah tells us that He is a wealth of salvation. I always think about wealth and I'm I'm a little tainted by my childhood. I think about Scrooge McDuck swimming around and his his just pool of gold that, that he would dive into. Where's the end of that? How far down can you go before you find the end of His gold? And and God's salvation is described as a wealth of salvation. Where's the end of it? It is overflowing. It is abundant. So how do I receive that wealth of salvation? It's much the same way that we've talked about this afternoon. We must gain wisdom and knowledge that is to say, we must know who we are and know who God is and what He has done. Paul would later tell us that's how faith is created. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of Christ. And upon hearing that Word of Christ, the men who had earlier shouted for the death of Christ, they just learned the man that we crucified, not only was He an innocent man, He was our Savior, He was the Messiah, and He was our Lord. And we killed him. Wisdom and knowledge brought them to see that. Wisdom and knowledge brought them to see sin is in our lives and a righteous and just God sent His Son to do something about it to become a sacrifice and we're the ones that killed Him. But they had one final thought. And that final thought illustrates what the fear of the Lord will do in the heart of a wise, knowledgeable man. That final thought comes out in Acts 2, verse 37. When they were pierced to the heart, they said, What do we do? What must we do? And Peter's response to them is, You must obey. He says to them to repent. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says this is the response to find salvation for wise, knowledgeable men who recognize where they are, where God is, and what they've done to separate themselves. And when they have a fear of Him that says, how can we close this distance? How can we come to Him when we are sinful men? Peter says, fear the Lord in essence. Fear the Lord looks like obedience. It looks like trust. It looks like following. And he went on to say, the solution for you all, the promise is for you, but it's also for your children and it's for every single soul that would ever come to Him. And so our, our desire this afternoon is to just ponder, do we feel instability in the world around us? Do we ever feel like, you know what, I'm not sure where my next step is going to come from. I don't know where to go next. Put our trust in Christ. Follow Him. Realize that He is our Savior. That is, say, salvation comes through Him. But realize the other side of that as well. He's not just our Savior. He's our Lord. And as Lord, that means He's our leader. He's the King. He's the one that's in control. He's the one that we can follow. Can we assist you in doing that today, following Him? If so, we invite you, come forward right now as we stand and sing the song of invitation.